Welcome to Barely Audible Whisper, a weekly NPR parody podcast in no way associated with NPR, brought to you in no part by the following parody sponsors. Defeated Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, refusing to concede the election he lost because admitting you lost is what losers do. The National Association of American Journalists reporting on Israeli politics. Now that the guy we've been referring to as Netanyahu's opponent has gone from the guy running against Netanyahu to the guy who beat Netanyahu, we should probably bother to remember that guy's name. And Google, just now informing me that that guy's name is actually Ben Gantz. I am Dave. And I am Molly. And our voices are as sweet and soothing as the defeat of Benjamin Netanyahu. Our top story this week... As you probably recall, the confirmation of Supreme Court Justice and Kermit the Frog impersonating rapist Brett Kavanaugh was most memorable for the credible allegation of rape brought against him by Dr. Blase Ford. An allegation Kavanaugh defended himself against by reading his calendar from 1982 in open testimony before the United States Senate. I have a calendar! It says in my calendar that I don't rape women. It says so right here, next to where it says I went over to my bro Squee's house to pound skis with Squee and our bro's bro dude and our tap dancing bro, Mr. Bro Jangles, and our gay bro, Broback Mountain. Even as Kavanaugh insisted that he respects women. Mr. Kavanaugh, you have I respect women! And you would know that I respect women if you would shut your dumb woman mouth long enough to listen to me tell you how much I respect women. Another woman, Deborah Ramirez, came forward with an allegation that a drunken Brett Kavanaugh shoved his penis in her face at a party at Yale. That woman needs to shut the hell up! I respect women! You might also recall that Democrats demanded an FBI investigation into the allegations an investigation that Republicans initially resisted. In our system, you are innocent until proven guilty, and as long as we don't look for any evidence, then there cannot be any evidence to prove Brett Kavanaugh guilty, which proves he is innocent. But Democrats, in a rare display of courage, actually persisted in forcing Republicans to agree to an FBI investigation. Sort of. The scope of the investigation was severely restricted by President Trump. As always, our Trump impersonator is a woman, because we hear he hates that. I hereby declare that the FBI can investigate these allegations, but they can't interview anybody, and they all have to wear blindfolds, and they only have one week to do it, and that one week starts six days ago. Ultimately, Republicans used the findings of the sham FBI investigation to justify confirming Justice Kavanaugh to a lifetime appointment on the Supreme Court. Which brings us to the bombshell revelations from this weekend's New York Times article. The Times article revealed a previously unreported allegation about a different incident in which Brett Kavanaugh shoved his same penis into the face of a different woman. The Times story also reports that Deborah Ramirez, the woman who first alleged that Kavanaugh shoved his penis in her face, gave the FBI a list of 25 people who she believed could corroborate her story. The FBI did not interview any of the 25 people during their sham investigation into Ramirez's claim, even though several of these witnesses took it upon themselves to reach out to the FBI during the investigation. All 5,000 of the Democrats running for president seized on the revelations from the New York Times to call for the impeachment of Brett Kavanaugh. 
The first call for Kavanaugh's impeachment came from Massachusetts Senator and what Barack Obama would be like if he was an old white lady, Elizabeth Warren. I'm in the fight, and being in the fight means rehashing the fight we lost a year ago. Because I'm in the Democratic nomination fight, which I don't call a fight because we don't want any infighting. The notable exception to Democratic candidates' call for Kavanaugh's impeachment is former Vice President and Obama's white friend, Joe Biden. But he'll come around eventually. If I come out in favor of impeaching Kavanaugh, will you forgive me for Clarence Thomas? Unfortunately, the significance of the Times' revelations was lost due to the fact that the Times screwed up the publication of these new allegations almost as badly as Brett Kavanaugh screwed up his confirmation hearings. I like beer! It says on my calendar that I never raped any women! This is all a conspiracy to avenge Hillary Clinton and ruin my life! This is the worst injustice that anyone has ever suffered! And I should know, because I've handed out a lot of unjust sentences as a judge. (laughs) So I guess I just successfully demonstrated that I have the kind of even-keel temperament you're looking for in a Supreme Court justice. But unlike Brett Kavanaugh, when the New York Times screws up, they actually have to suffer consequences. The article was not published as a news story. It was instead published as an excerpt from a soon-to-be-released book about Justice Kavanaugh authored by two New York Times reporters. Apparently, the Times was so focused on selling their minor book, they forgot to care that they were breaking major news. And when you break major news in the form of a blurb from a minor book, if the major news story is not properly reported as major news in the context of the minor book, then the full context of the major news gets majorly missed. I told you I respect women because it says so on my calendar, but the liberal media refuses to accept the well-established legal principle of calendar infallibility. So the New York Times was forced to publish an addendum to their original bombshell article, which states that the different woman from the different incident in which Brett Kavanaugh shoved his same penis in a different woman's face does not specifically remember the incident. Nanny, nanny, boo, boo, you can't get me. Had the story been reported properly, the fact that the woman doesn't specifically remember the specifics of Kavanaugh's penis would not be that damning, considering that the Times story is based entirely on sources who were at the party who attest to having seen the event, not the woman herself. But the fact that the Times had to print an addendum to their original article creates the appearance that the entire article is somehow suspect. Fake news. Which is weird, because the same people who think one addendum completely discredits the New York Times also believe in the complete credibility of this guy. I like beer, but I never blacked out, and I never raped women, because I always carry a blood alcohol chart and a calendar! According to Al Jazeera, the Saudi government has sold off the consulate building where Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi was murdered to an undisclosed buyer for one-third of the building's estimated market value. 
barely audible whisper obtained audio of the real estate agent showing the consulate to his prospective undisclosed buyer. The room we're in right now is very special. It's been completely soundproofed, so no one can hear a dissident scream in pain and terror as he begs for his life. Excuse me? <laughs> How you choose to enjoy the soundproofing would obviously be up to you. Whether you're looking for a peaceful place to crank up your music without disturbing anyone, or a safe space to chop up a dead body. It would be nice to have a quiet room where I can... <laughs> What's with all the eating and vats of acid? Oh, it was left here by the previous tenants. You can do whatever you want with it. You could use it to dispose of a body or do some weeding in the garden. It's multifunctional. <laughs> Isn't the acid too toxic to use in the garden? Yes. The previous tenants learned that the hard way. That's why nothing grows in the garden. Why would they use acid in their garden? Not to dissolve a body and then bury the evidence. That's for sure. Is that a bone saw? Oh, yes. Again, left by the previous tenants. Again, though, you can do whatever you want with it. Chop up a body, build a shelf. Again, it's multifunctional. multifunctional. <laughs> <laughs> what is that noise? Uh, what noise? Didn't you hear it? It sounds like a ghost or something. <laughs> there it is again. Listen. Don't you hear it? It's like an ooh, ooh, ooh sound like a ghost would make if it was haunting this building. Oh, that. <laughs> You'll get used to it. I hardly even hear it anymore. I'm so used to it. <laughs> That's just the um, undead soul of a murdered journalist who haunts the consulate for all eternity to search justice. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? You know, the, um, uh, soul murderers who haunts the consulate for all eternity in search of justice. The underspool of maternal lisp has Han Solo fraternity in such an ice? No, I said that's the undead soul of maternalists who haunts the consulate for all eternity in search of justice. The imbecilic offered journal to Ant's consultant Fernal intern Arcjuice? It doesn't matter what the noise is. It's a very minor thing, really. Besides, you can only hear it in this room. You can only hear the sound in the soundproof room? Ironically, yes. <laughs> I don't think I'm comfortable buying a consulate building with an unidentifiable noise that is also an unsolvable riddle. It's not a riddle. It's the undead soul of a murdered journalist who haunts the consulate for all eternity in search of justice. Does this by chance have anything to do with the bone saw, the vats of acid, and the dead garden? Like I said, it's all multifunctional. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I like the place. But to be honest, I almost prefer the idea of an unsolvable riddle to a ghost on an internal quest for justice. I'll sell it to you at one-third of its value. Sold. <laughs> Last week, the House Judiciary Committee finally summoned up the courage to formalize the rules surrounding the impeachment proceedings into President Trump. Finally. 
However, the committee chairman, Jerry Nadler, stressed that while technically carrying the legal distinction and therefore weight that comes with being classified as an impeachment proceeding, the proceedings themselves are to be seen as investigatory in nature and are not necessarily designed to produce a formal impeachment per se. Oh, for God's sake. This Tuesday, the Judiciary Committee produced the first witness for testimony in their impeachment investigation. Finally! Unfortunately, the witness, Corey Lewandowski, Trump's former campaign manager and human buzzcut, stonewalled the investigation repeatedly, claiming the non-existent executive privilege of someone who has never worked for the executive branch. The White House is directed I not disclose the substance of any discussions with the President in accordance with the long-standing practice of executive privilege. Oh, for God's sake. Lewandowski and Chairman Nadler began the hearing with a testy exchange. Mr. Lewandowski, did you mean to meet with the President in the Oval Office to discuss the potential firing of Attorney General Jeff Sessions? The White House has directed I not disclose the substance of any discussions with the President. The White House has no such authority. White House counsel wrote me a note. White House counsel is not a doctor. They cannot simply write a note to excuse you from... I'm going to interrupt you and read from my note. Mr. Lewandowski, that's me, has been directed not to disclose the substance of any discussions with the president due to a long-standing understanding of executive privilege whose precedent dates as far back as the beginning of this note. The White House has no authority to assert executive privilege with regard to someone who has never worked for the executive brand. What are you going to do about it? I plan on whining about it for a considerable period of time, but ultimately doing nothing. Barely Audible Whisper invited Chairman Nadler to join us in studio to explain why he did not hold Corey Lewandowski in contempt of Congress for using a phony claim of privilege to avoid answering his committee's legitimate questions. Chairman Nadler. Wait, where... where did he... where did he go? Ow, you kicked me. Chairman Nadler, are you hiding under the desk? Oh, for God's sakes. Please don't make me do stuff. For God's sake. Meanwhile, President Trump defended his theory of what the White House calls the absolute privilege of the executive thusly. I have the absolute right to do whatever I want. As always, our Trump impersonator is still a woman because we hear he still hates that. The Constitution states very powerfully and very strongly that the Excalibur branch of the government can do whatever the excommunication wants because Trump. Therefore, ipso facto, habeas corpus, Christy, Texas, bippity-boppity-boo, here to with, void where prohibited, I hereby declare that as the X-ray machine branch of the government, I can do what I want. No such authority, a terminology for that matter, exists in the Constitution. Fake news. Couchman Nadler. It's Chairman Nadler. That's what I said, piece of furniture man Nadler. This is an egregious abuse of power. Fake news, lazy boy recliner Nadler. I cannot egregious abuse my power because the Constitution says very strongly and very powerfully that Trump has the absolute right to all of the eggs I want. 
You are clearly unfit for warfare. What are you gonna do about it, Love Seat Man? I plan on whining about it for a considerable period of time, but ultimately doing nothing. Oh, for God's sake. A sign in the London Zoo reads, quote, Some penguins are gay. Get over it. The sign, which the zoo posted in support of its two same-sex penguins who are raising a hatchling, prompted fierce criticism from Caroline Farrow, a Catholic journalist who tweeted that the penguins were participating in, quote, deviant behavior. Mrs. Farrow received intense backlash to her tweets from people who pointed out that same-sex coupling is common in the animal kingdom. This month, the Berlin Zoo announced that two of its male penguins have adopted an abandoned egg and are attempting to hatch it. Barely Audible Whisper reached out to Miss Farrow for comment. At first I was outraged that more deviant penguins are waddling their deviant penguin lifestyles down the gullets of decent people and penguins everywhere. But then I got to thinking about how deviant behavior exists in lots of animals. And I realized that it's not the animal's fault. No one has ever told these animals about Jesus Christ. So I marched down to the zoo to spread the word. Roughly translated into penguin, I just told that penguin that his homosexual lifestyle is offensive to Jesus Christ. <laughs> Who's Jesus Christ? Why, the Lord and Savior of humankind. Oh, and also penguins. I guess. That is not ridiculous. When a man penguin lies with, or whatever it is penguins do, another man penguin, as with a woman penguin, it is an abomination against the Lord. It says so in the Bible. The Bible. You know the book that God wrote? Of course God can write a book. <laughs> how dare you? If that's how you feel about it, I'll leave you to burn in hell for your wicked ways and go and save the bonobo monkeys. God commands you to stop your deviant behavior. There is so a God. I did not evolve from you. We're, we're nothing alike. Okay, okay, okay. But aside from the facial features and the social groupings and the problem solving, we're nothing alike. Ew! You threw poop at me. That's another way we're not alike. I would never throw poop. <laughs> <laughs>
Preaching the Bible is not metaphorical poop throwing. Well, if that's how you feel about it, I'll go convert the dolphins. Apparently somebody warned the dolphins I was coming. You can't stay underwater forever. I'm going to save you from your deviant behavior. That dolphin sprayed me with water from his blowhole. Oh, you think blowhole jokes are funny? Well, that's why you're going to hell. To you too. Legendary television and radio journalist Koki Roberts died this Tuesday at the age of 75. A recipient of the Edward R. Murrow Award, as well as multiple Emmy Awards for her distinguished work as a reporter and analyst, Koki Roberts is considered a trailblazer who mentored and inspired women to break into and thrive in a male-dominated industry of broadcast journalism. For more on Cokie Roberts' legacy, Barely Audible Whisper turns to the host of NPR's City Lights and what Katherine Hepburn would sound like having an asthma attack, Lois Retzis. Hello, I'm Lois Retzis, a professional radio host with a natural speaking voice that sounds like I'm suffocating on an idling lawnmower. As an intelligent, informed, and insightful woman, I have managed to thrive in a medium dominated by voice, despite the ridiculous absurdity of my voice. My ability as a serious woman to do serious work in a male-dominated industry historically discriminatory against women, especially women afflicted with absurdity, was made possible in no small part when the distinguished Edward R. Murrow Award for Serious Journalism was awarded to a woman named Koki. I agree. As a serious journalist with a silly name, I stand on the serious shoulders of silly named giants, and the silliest named giant of them all was Koki. I am joined by Bloomberg reporter and NBC correspondent Shannon Petty Peace. Seriously, that's the real name of a real journalist, and she's good too. Koki's groundbreaking importance for women in journalism has been widely acknowledged, but little attention has been paid to the strides Koki made for women with silly names. And other silly attributes. Koki was not named Koki at birth. Koki was a nickname bestowed upon her by her brother, who as a child could not pronounce her given name, mispronouncing it Koki instead. Koki's born name was Mary Martha Corian Morrison Claiborne Boggs, which is silly in its own right, 
not silly in the silly sense, but rather silly in the dignified sense in which dignified people go to silly lengths to seem more dignified. Koki chose to keep being called Koki, preferring the silly in the silly sense Koki to the silly in the pretentious sense Mary Martha, Corinne, Morris, and Claiborne Boggs. Fortunately, before beginning her career in journalism, Koki Boggs married Stephen Roberts and adopted her husband's significantly less silly last name, thus ensuring that Koki Roberts could break the funhouse class ceiling of silly named women. A challenge that may have proved too great, even for Cokie, had Cokie Roberts remained Cokie Bugs. Unfortunately, society was not yet ready to embrace a woman's choice to opt out of assuming her husband's less silly name, in favor of embracing the silly last name she had embraced since birth. This particular aspect of a woman's struggle to choose to embrace the silliness of the silly last name of her born identity, thus flaunting the silly societal convention of a woman subjugating her own silliness to the seriousness of her husband's surname is of particular importance to you, Shannon Pettypiece. That's right. My husband's last name is Fields. I could have chosen to assume the sensible name Shannon Fields. Shannon Fields is a sensible name that traditionalists might say suits my sensibilities as a sensible journalist. But as a sensible journalist, I have too much sense to be defined by someone else's surname. I choose to be Shannon Pettypiece, a sensible journalist with a silly surname. I admire your cokey-like commitment to the cause of serious women with silly names. Through hard work, intelligent insight, and impeccable integrity, Cokie was too undeniably gifted as a journalist to be denied her place as a silly-named woman in a sensibly-named man's world. Cokie was a pioneer whose achievements on behalf of serious women with silly names is perhaps best exemplified by how not at all silly Cokie seemed when paired with Sam Donaldson. Hello, I'm Sam Donaldson, and no woman could ever get away with regularly appearing on television with eyebrows so ridiculous and obviously fake that people barely even notice how ridiculous and obviously fake my hair is. Sam Donaldson's eyebrows are the visual equivalent to the sound of my voice. If Sam Donaldson's eyebrows had a name to match their ridiculousness, they would be named Cokie Pettypiece. But Cokie, having transcended the silliness of the name Cokie, was able to co-anchor a news broadcast with Sam Donaldson in a way that transcended the silliness of Sam Donaldson's eyebrows. Indeed, Cokie occupied a space in American broadcast journalism not only as a woman, but also as a Cokie. Not only did Cokie have the strength to be a woman, 
Koki had the strength to be a Koki. Koki was like the Barack Obama of being Susan B. Anthony. Koki was more than just a woman in a world of men. Koki was a Koki in a world of Mary Martha Quarry, Morris, and Claiborne Bugs. I could not be Shannon Pettypiece today without Koki Roberts having been the Koki of yesterday. Nor could I have had a career in which it sounds like I've been having the same stroke for two decades. But unfortunately, Koki's struggle for the equality of women with silly names and other silly attributes is not done. The sexist double standard continues. Even as we have spent the past five minutes mocking the voice of a female radio host, no one gives a second thought to how the airwaves are polluted daily with grating male voices of Rush Limbaugh and Mark Levine. And while we've been laughing at the fact that quality journalism can come from a woman named Shannon Pettypiece, Nobody laughs at the daily mediocre journalism that comes from Wolf Blitzer. Thank you for listening to Barely Audible Whisper, made possible by the following people, writer, co-host, and producer Dave Baldwin, co-host and actress Molly Brown, and actors Daniel Carter-Brown and Corey Burns. Please subscribe to us wherever you subscribe to your podcasts and follow us on our social medias and tell all your friends how funny we are. We appreciate your support. I love Wolf Blitzer. I want to make sweet love to him. And now's the part where Dan says, hubris, but once again, I forgot to record Dan saying hubris, and I don't have the old audio of Dan saying hubris, so I'll just say hubris.